Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Cheering crowd sound, it's concerts, concerts that made us, concerts that made us.com. Hey, this is Molly Diago, and you're listening to Concerts That Made Us. Somebody new Someone just like 
Molly Diago, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. It's great to have you now. I'm really looking forward to diving into your music over the next bit. Now, you recently released the masterpiece, Someone Just Like You. Can you tell us a bit more about the track? Well, that's the first time I've heard it called that, but thank you very much. <laughs> um, the track is a collaboration between me and Miles Claiborne, um, who's a newer at the uh, production game, but a longtime musician and drummer for Saul. Um, he had sent me an instrumental track uh, probably two or three months ago, and I just loved it. It had that little guitar riff, and uh, I knew that I wanted to you know, try to make some magic out of it. So we kind of worked together over a period of a couple of weeks to turn a riff into a song. And uh, then I went into the studio uh, in Connecticut uh, called Dirt Floor. It's one of my favorite places in the world. And I worked with a vocal engineer, and we kind of uh, were able to sort of piece it all together. So um, it all happened very quick. And <laughs> usually these things take months and months, but this was like, I think 60 days ago, the song didn't exist. So it was really exciting um, to sort of go through that process with, you know, a great team of people. And then, of course, have the support of, uh, you know, our label while we did it. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, I don't hear that too often now. It must have felt like you were definitely on the right track with it running so smoothly. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so rare. Like, <laughs> usually there's always chaos and, you know, uh, a little bit of issues here and there. But this one, it was really easy. And I think it was just kind of meant to be. So, um, you know, I was, uh, again, super excited to be able to work with, uh, you know, some of these great people to put together the project and, you know, get it out there so quickly. There's a very interesting story behind this song. Where does the story or where does the inspiration come from? Yeah, so um, the song, it kind of uh, details out. I had sort of a relationship in my life um, with, actually, it was regarding sort of a, a music-type writing partnership. And um, musicians are, you know, emotional people. And sometimes when they sort of get in a room together, like, you know, it's chaos. And that's kind of what happened. And uh, the other person I felt was, you know, he was very, very self-involved and, you know, me trying to navigate that and deal with it and still be creative at the same time, um, it was difficult, you know? So eventually the whole partnership kind of fell apart. And uh, this song kind of gave me an opportunity to tell, you know, my side of the story. And I think that um, a lot of people crave that, especially if you're going through a fight, whether, you know, it's family or, you know, a relationship or a partner or whatever it may be. Um, a lot of times if, you know, one of the parties is sort of falls on the, <laughs> on the scale of a narcissist, you never quite get the last word. And that's kind of how I felt. So I feel like this song was an opportunity for me to have a last word kind of, and sort of, you know, hopefully that it's something that's relatable to people who, you know, went through some troubled people. And I feel like narcissism is, is really a big topic these days, you know, especially when people are getting attention from social media and from, you know, the instant gratification of texts and Snapchat and all that. So that's like the very, very short version of the inspiration for the song. But of course, you know, it felt good to finally be able to sort of tell, you know, my side of the story, even though it was, you know, something kind of personal. Uh, but, you know, I think that creative expression is an awesome way to channel, you know, some emotions that won't get you into trouble or, you know, <laughs> arrested for uh, better <laughs> sake. So it was good. Yeah, I think I actually like the song even more now after hearing that. I have to ask, though, <laughs> does this does this person know the song is about him? Um, 
You know, I don't know. Um, I think if he hears it, he will. But if he's heard it or not, I'm not sure. Because actually, said person, I haven't spoke to him in close to a year. Uh, the way that everything ended was explosive. And, you know, uh, and everything that went down was just, it was just unfortunate. So I hope, <laughs> I hope he knows. But I'm sure once he realizes, I'll be getting a very long text message. But you know what? That's okay. I, uh, that's what the block button is for, you know? So I can, <laughs> I can save my last word on the air. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know what? I hope it's some sort of situation where he's listening to the song and kind of bopping along to it, thinking it's the best song ever, and he doesn't realize it. <laughs> exactly. That would be the ultimate. I hope that too. Uh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Now that the track is out there, how do you look back on it in your mind? You know, again, I think that a piece of it is just like me being able to get, you know, emotions that I wasn't able to sort of get out, you know, during that time, um, uh, you know, on, on the sort of emotional side of it. So I feel good. And it feels like sort of almost a relief to be able to, you know, sort of have that feeling that I never really got to, you know, express, you know, a year ago or whenever that happened. Um, and musically, it's exciting to get out there because um, I took a, a small break from active rock for uh, probably the past like year and a half. So musically, I was really excited to get this out there because, uh, you know, I missed my my place in the rock world for sure, because that's where that's like my comfort zone. I've always been a rocker, you know, since day one. So I think on both fronts, you know, it, it was it felt good. It was like, uh, you know, a relief. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And your your last track, My Sweet Burning Heart, reached number one on the international DRT chart. How is this one being received so far? Well, so far, so good. Um, it's only been out about a week at this point. So we're still sort of in the stage of collecting data and, you know, calculating spins and such. But um, I'm really, really hoping that, uh, I mean, the DRT chart is excellent and my sweet burning heart was a track that it wasn't really rock, you know, so it wasn't my, my, uh, my sort of comfort zone, but to see it do well was exciting. And I think, um, it was awesome also to have a number one on a giant chart like that, but, um, I'm really hoping that this song particularly does well on the rock side of things too, uh, here in the U S so, uh, only time will tell. And hopefully in a week or two, you know, we'll be able to sort of, uh, get a real glimpse on how we're doing. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Now, something I'm sure people find fascinating about you is that a few years back while being very successful as a touring musician, you decided to study law at Syracuse university college of law. You really like keeping yourself busy, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it's never a dumb. Like even today, like I was going through the activities that I accomplished before noon today and it was like such a wide array of things in my life at all, you know, all times, which I guess it keeps it exciting. But um, I went to law school. I think I had some pressure from my family because, you know, no matter how successful you are, I feel like unless you're Taylor Swift or something. Like your parents always are secretly like, well, you know, you need a backup or something. So I always had that voice in the back of my head. And I and I figured that there would come a day where, you know, um, if I wasn't Taylor Swift, still working on it, um, that, you know, if I don't want to do this anymore, I would need, you know, other options. And I think that uh, what I didn't anticipate was how often I actually use, you know, my education and my credentials in music. Um, I get calls every single day from artists all over the place. And I make a lot of friends because they all have issues, which, you know, um, I guess that's a, a nice benefit uh, of it for sure. But, uh, you know, <laughs> there is never a dull moment. 
Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. If you kind of look back at your early days in music, growing up, how did your local scene influence your sound? That's a great question. I I think um, I played in like a a garage type rock band uh, when I was growing up and when I was in high school. And Syracuse is where I'm actually from Syracuse. And then, you know, I moved away and then came back to uh, participate in, uh, you know, law school. But um, it's very, very rock centric. And, you know, the community in a lot of cities and towns that, you know, I sort of got to play in, rock is like either hit or miss, right? Like, especially the last 10 years in here, either everybody's really, really involved with country or rock or, you know, whatever. So I think Syracuse was, you know, definitely a rock town, which helped me sort of grow and really get to experiment and, you know, enjoy it. And on the flip side of the uh, things in Syracuse, when I was still there, um, I played in some cover bands as well in pop and country. So I think that my favorite part about, you know, the scene when I was growing up is, again, I was able to like sort of test the waters and kind of feel, you know, for where I fit. So um, for that, I am grateful for Syracuse. Yeah, you actually made me think of something there. Where do you think Rock's place is now? Because as you mentioned, it's not at the forefront. Do you think it'll come back around or? I hope it'll come back around because, I mean, the thing is, is that I feel like the sounds continue to change. And unfortunately, I feel like things are starting to um, get a little bit cookie cutter uh, and on the rock side of things. Because, I mean, I loved the 2000s era of rock. And I mean, maybe you can sort of, uh, you know, uh, discuss a little that. Like, I just feel like every single song, it wasn't, there wasn't a cookie cutter format. There, You know, the artists weren't trying to fit into a, a box. And then I feel like the last 10 or 12 years, they now are slowly sort of commercializing their product to try and fit, whether it be like that really heavy, like, you know, uh, heavy sound like you hear when you turn on Octane or uh, the opposite, some sort of pop sound, which I think um, an example is like Shinedown's latest stuff is really poppy. So I think that rock needs to reclaim its identity (laughs) to be, you know, respected and sort of grow back. But I would love your thoughts on that too, uh, being involved, you know, in music from your standpoint. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Something I've noticed for the longest time now is that it's almost like when a known band has to come up with a song they go into an office i feel and it's like there's a checklist right it has to have this sound it has to have this type of vocals these effects you know and like you said i think i agree the early 2000s was probably the last time that bands were i don't want to say original but doing what they wanted if you know what i mean right right absolutely and i think that that's like 100 correct and that's kind of the problem you know Like if you're working off a checklist, so to speak, like where's the creativity? And I think the creativity is what makes rock amazing. And I mean, if you look even going back to the 60s and 70s, like they were like completely creating their own narrative when they were putting out rock music, you know, I mean, they had the benefit of being the, you know, the pioneers. It's a lot harder (laughs) because you have to keep sort of retelling the same story. But um, I don't think we have that courtesy today. And I think that, like you said, the more that it becomes sort of commercialized and, you know, I love the the checklist reference. Um, how can it, how, how can they pioneer new things? You know, how can they sort of grow and go back to like experimentalism and, and stuff like that? So I think it's definitely a problem. And I really hope that they get a hold on it <laughs> before it's you know, too late, I suppose. But I don't even know, uh, you know, exactly what that would be. But, you know. One can hope. <laughs> exactly, exactly. To take a, a step further then, where do you think AI fits into it? 
AI is scary because like, I know even when I'm like on social media, I'm getting ads for like, you can AI your voice to sing, you know, like Tracy Chapman or <laughs> Leonard Skinner or like Slipknot, which is crazy. I mean, if AI can go do our jobs, you know, then like, I mean, the only, the only aspect of it, I suppose, like is the bands would actually still have to perform, right? There's no way to redo that. But then again, there's holograms now, I guess. But I don't know. To me, that's not the same. But I don't know. I think it's scary that, you know, people would actually buy into, you know, AI creations because it just, it takes all of the human out of it. You know, it takes all of the emotion out of it. And I feel like when you're a music fan, like that's what you're listening for, right? Whether you know it or not, is that emotion and, you know, that. And I think musically, like they've been utilizing AI in like instrumental tracks. And I mean, I'm guilty of this too. I had a company for some time that we did custom wedding songs for people and we were util utilizing AI to, uh, you know, fill in some of the instrumental so we could get it done quickly. But the product definitely suffered a little bit and you could always tell that it wasn't hundred percent. Like if a musician listening can tell that it wasn't real, but I guess that, you know, the general population might not be able to tell, but I don't know. I'm scared by it. And I'm just, I'm sad about it too. I think a little bit just, uh, you know, being so easy to take the emotion out of something and still have people buy into it, you know, it sucks. But I guess that's part of life now. True, true. What I actually find scary about it, while it is fun, you know, on the on the basis of it, but when you look deeper is, you know, you go on TikTok and you see Johnny Cash, say, doing a cover of Barbie Girl. While that is fun to look at, it kind of, it's scary when you think of where that could go. Like, are we going to get a, a Johnny Cash album of songs he never even heard, let alone sang, you know? Right. And I don't think that's right. Like, no, you should have ownership over your own voice, at least, you know, um, especially in cases like that. And I think also like this is something that I'm a big Howard Stern fan and they talk about this a lot. Um, like getting AI to like put artists in compromising positions that they would have never you know, sort of agreed to. Like, I don't know. It, it's all frightening. And I'm hoping that the legal part of me is hoping that somehow they figure out how to create policy, you know, around this. But again, if it's selling, um, America's very hesitant to limit, you know, capitalism and, yeah. and commercialization of these things. So I don't know. It's wild though, you know? Yeah, it's, it is. It's, it's crazy. Now the podcast is called Concerts That Made Us. So I have to ask you as a concert goer, what concerts have made you? Sure. I, you know, I was excited for this question. And I prepared. <laughs> so um, honestly, the, the concert, this is kind of a weird one, but the concert that got me started was the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, which I don't know if you're familiar, but they're uh, a Christmas like metal show, basically. <laughs> um, they, you know, have lasers and they have, uh, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. And I remember going to that show when I was a kid. Um, I might have been, I don't know, nine or 10. And I was just in love with it. And I wanted to do that. Like that day, I'm like, I want to be a musician. And specifically, I was drawn to the guitarist because the Transfer Orchestra is very much led by the guitar players instead of singers, which, you know, is interesting and uh, not the norm. So um, that was Christmas time, of course. And I asked for, I think, a guitar for my birthday, which was shortly after. And I got it. And I really haven't been able to put it down since. So um, that concert, if there's one concert I can pinpoint, it's definitely that one. And uh, that actually started this career for me. And another concert that I like loved and like is my favorite to this day is Shinedown did, I think it was in 2012, they did an acoustic tour with um, Will Hogue. 
And they just literally like played through Sounds of Madness acoustic. And then of course all their hits. And it was the most amazing, like that, that show, the sounds and the tones that they, you know, sort of produced made me want to write songs and get into songwriting stuff because when they stripped the songs down like that, you could really see like how creative and inspiring, you know, the music was. So those two concerts for sure are, you know, live on in my memory forever. And uh, especially when I'm creating. I like it. I like it. You know, when you go to a show nowadays, then are you able to switch off and totally immerse yourself? Or are you kind of a bit critical? <laughs> I am very critical. <laughs> and honestly, I go to less shows now than I ever have just because of that. Like it almost ruins it for me, you know, like either one, I want to be up there doing it or two, like, you know, I'm picking out mistakes and just laughing, you know what I mean? So it, it, it's sad that it's like that, but I don't know if that's just because, you know, my personality has changed since becoming a lawyer, but um, I, I, that's the one thing I'd like to change this year is getting out to more concerts and trying to like switch off to be able to actually enjoy it. Like I did when I was young, you know, before I had all this knowledge. So that's actually, <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> well, I hope you can get back to it. And the moment we're all waiting for, for any listeners that haven't caught one of your shows, what are they like? Give us the full experience if you can. Sure. So um, just because I was really inspired by Trans-Siberian Orchestra and I love like the theatrics of it and the lights and the heavy sounds, um, I try to emulate that. You know, at my shows, we incorporate lights, we incorporate, you know, um, a lot, a lot of heavy guitars, like heavy low end, because I love like a driven sound like that. Um, a lot of guitar solos, of course, because, you know, um, I'm a guitar player at heart. And uh, we also love, you know, getting, you know, moments and chances to really interact with people on stage. So I really hope that all the listeners out there will come visit us on the road this summer. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll be lucky enough to be a concert that helped make somebody else. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. That's it. Now, if you think about all the shows you've played over your entire career, is there one that sticks out as maybe the most perfect experience you've had? Yeah, well, <laughs> my my favorite concert ever was one of my first big gigs. Um, it was my garage band was opening up for the All American Rejects, and I like it was my first like really national scale like gig. And even though you know we were opener at the time, it helped open a lot of doors for me. Um, you know, with the All American Rejects and you know other bands as well, but. Um, I just remember the excitement leading up to that show. Like I was in high school still at the time. So I remember like before we left to do the, the you know, the gigs, um, like trying, I had tickets to the shows. I was like pawning off at the high school kids. Like it was so, I was just so excited. And like, even sound checking that day, it was like, I, like, I don't know, it's cliche, but it was almost like out of body experience. And, uh, you know, I just loved every second of it. And, it's funny because in that moment, I thought we were the greatest thing in the world. And then I watched videos of that show, that first show, 10, you know, 50, well, I don't know how many it's been on, 12 years later, and we were so bad. But that just drives the point home. Like in that moment, we were the great, it was the greatest thing in the world, you know? And so even though we were like literally horrific, I had no idea at the time, you know? And I think that makes it even better, you know, that I was able to enjoy it despite yeah. having no idea what we were doing, you know? <laughs> so uh, that first like big gig, I think is definitely the one that sticks with me. <laughs> I like it. I like it. And if you switch that question around, then is there one that sticks out as the worst experience and how did you overcome it? Yeah, uh, we played a festival. It was, I think, two years ago. Um, it was in my hometown, which is Syracuse. And there was a lot of pressure on the gig because um, 
it was, you know, me coming back to my hometown. I hadn't played there in like four or five years. And so, you know, it was, it was definitely a big deal. It was in the paper and uh, there's a lot of advertising around me coming back, which was, you know, exciting. But um, I had, for whatever reason, I drafted a band of local musicians to support the show because I thought uh, in my brain <laughs> that that was like a cool thing to do. Like, yeah, let's use local musicians. All guys I've played with in the past, you know, all great guys. And so um, it became sort of uh, quite the, uh, you know, quite the obstacle to be able to get together in her store. But we did it. And there was one guy who was like a really weak link and he ended up like, even when we got like, even the, the rehearsal the night before, like everything was going fine. And then when we got to the show and man, this guy, he totally blew, like it was so bad and it was so embarrassing. And granted, it was only one guy, you know, in the show, but there was so much pressure on that. And actually the show before that I played in Syracuse, which I think was five years earlier, was, uh, had an equal sort of catastrophe where it wasn't necessarily bad playing, but, I was putting out a song with, actually, this is probably a worse story. I was putting out a song with Hugo Ferreira from Tantric, and um, we were debuting the song at this concert in front of my hometown. Again, papers, radio stations, everybody was covering it. And then uh, it was a duet, and then Hugo didn't show up. So that was also equally terrible. So I've had really bad luck coming back to Syracuse, <laughs> and I'm hoping that they'll give me one more chance, you know, to, to redeem myself. But those two concerts, man, were really upsetting. And it's just disappointing because, you know, at home I'm supposed to hopefully get better, not worse. But, uh, you know, I, those things happen, and you can't control other people, so you just got to kind of, you know, move on with it. And that's what we did, like, that when Hugo didn't show up, um, was a guy from my band stepped up, and, and he sung the song, so it was fine, you know. But, of course, in my head, I'm like, yeah, well, we were expecting so much more, you know. And the situation with the guitar player, uh, the last time we went to play a festival, like, he basically excused himself. Um, I didn't even say anything to him. He just knew, you know. And honestly, I don't think I've spoken to him since. And not because I was mad or upset. Like, I think he just knew that he had really screwed up. So um, I don't know if that was the best way to handle things. But, you know, that stuff happens and you just got to sort of move on with it. True, true. Yeah. And, you know, if you look back over your career to date, what is your proudest moment? Um, that's a good question. I don't even know. I don't know. I'm, I'm it, it, honestly, I don't know. Like I know the, the time I felt the proudest was before that first show where we we're absolutely terrible, but, um, I loved it. I'm like, wow, I finally did something. Cause you know, when you're like doing garage band stuff, like the other side, like trying to get to the other side of doing national gigs, it's just so far away, you know? So when some a promoter finally gave us a chance, you know, to hop on as an opener, like, I think that even though we were horrible, like, I still don't know why he did it to this day, but I don't ask, you know, <laughs> um, I'm thankful that he gave us a chance. So I think just that one gig, like, you know, really sort of set apart for me everything and it set the trajectory of where we are today. So I don't know, I, I, if I had to pick one moment, probably that one. Right, right. We'll take it. We'll take it. Now, before we dive into the last couple of questions, so future plans for the rest of the year, gigs, more music, lay it all out first. Yeah, so we'll have some more music coming out, hopefully, uh, in the next couple months. It's an EP that's being released sort of one by one. Um, I will have some shows over the summer, which we hope to announce in the next month or so. And uh, that's about it. Right, right. Brilliant, brilliant. The last couple of questions. So there are a couple of random odd ones. So the first one, what are you currently obsessed with? It can be music, a book, a film, anything. 
Grey's Anatomy, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I probably watched the show, man, I'm on my fifth or sixth time through it and I just love it. I don't know why I just, someone said online that like there's some people have like that want to feel secure or like comfort, like they won't watch other shows. They won't do anything (laughs) else. And like, man, that's been it for like three years now. I've been totally like self-involved with Grey's Anatomy uh, for no reason, really. But yeah, I don't know if that's a good answer or not, but... (laughs) You know, that's funny. I used to watch it when it came out first and I've always been meaning to go back to it. I only watched it as far as, do you remember Denny dying? Yes. That that's, was a bad lawyer. Yeah, that that's, was it for you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was so long oh, ago as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, probably 10 or 15 years back since that mm. happened. So I think Catherine Heigl was still on at that time. But um, honestly... I think they're on season 20 now and roughly halfway through Derek Shepard dies. And really like, that's where it kind of like jumps the shark, you know, but still, I don't care. Like I just keep watching him and I'm just like, this is a great show, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And if you could collaborate with any musician from history, who would it be? And what sort of song would you write? Dave Matthews, for sure. He's my fave. And uh, I don't know what kind of song I'd write because honestly, he writes every single song he writes is something different. So and I think that's why, you know, he's so interesting. So I would let him lead the way and I'd be all about it if I got that opportunity. Brilliant answer. And the final one. So what is your go to album? Um, I'd have to say probably uh Either Shinedown, uh, Sounds of Madness, or uh, Dave Matthews, Under the Table and Dreaming. Both really good albums, and and I love them. I couldn't agree more, especially Shinedown. I wore that out in my teenage years. It's a great <laughs> one. I think it's amazing. And actually, the uh, Somewhere in the Stratosphere, which is the live recording of that concert I mentioned earlier, is another one that I give a lot of play to. Just love it. So great. Brilliant. Brilliant. Molly, listen, thanks a million now. It's been an absolute blast. Of course. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Is there any remedy for a broken heart that still bleeds? Show me how to sew it all up. Feeling like there's nothing left. Blunt to any cause and effect. You don't see the skin that you cut.
Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rocking. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing here? The show is over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.